This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. As Guy Mowbray said, it was once not in my lifetime, now it's every time. And on the weekend, City beat United at Wembley to win the FA Cup. We ask if that was the biggest Manchester derby win of all time. It's Monday the 4th of June. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Ollie Kirsch. I'm Oliver Lowe. And this is the City Report Podcast. Where is going from? Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. A big thank you to our sponsor, Discount Dragon. The best place to find bargains as good as Julian Alvarez with food, drink and household products all available for affordable prices. If you want to make even more savings on the big brands at better value, you can get an extra 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. That's 5% off all orders with the code CITYPODSAVE. Limited time only, terms and conditions apply, UK only. Welcome to a glorious brand new week on the City Report podcast. What could be one of the biggest of all time and what a show to kick things off. Firstly, Ollie Lowe, how are we doing? I'm doing brilliantly. Top of the world. Things don't get much better um, going into, as you said, one of the most important weeks. Well, probably the most important week in Manchester City history. And I'm nothing but excited for it, especially after what was probably quite an anxiety-inducing weekend. Was that just on the golf course? <laughs> no, no, it was. Uh, there were some pesky neighbours that I had to deal with. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we managed to deal with them on the football pitch and it meant that I could enjoy my golf as well. Superb. Top on the world, shining down on the rags. Ollie Kirsch, that was some let-off, wasn't it? Beautiful, that, wasn't it? Beautiful. So we've, got, we've, got, we've got the smaller fixture out of the way now. I've got the noisy neighbours out of the way and now I've got a Champions League finals to focus on. Beautiful. It's like the, it's that David Mitchell sketch, isn't it? It's like, are we the noisy neighbours now? Is that United? Is that what they are? Absolutely, of course, of course. Except they're exceptionally noisy because they think they're better and bigger than they are. Um, I mean, I've some, seen some ridiculous takes since the game saying, oh, we're only three or four players away from competing with City. We didn't even get out of second gear, lads. Mm. We didn't get out of second gear. You've seen a city that was at strolling pace and we've still done you on your big day. So that's that's exactly what I thought. Me. I saw I saw so many tweets uh 
today saying, you know, we, we've competed with City twice this season. And I thought, how unbelievably ironic, you know, two times this season we've not got our <laughs> second gear, two times the FA have, have handed you, uh, you know, decisions that shouldn't have, have been there. Maybe I'm sounding bitter mm. either way. We've won the, the match that mattered. But yeah, United fans are delusional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those certainly are the opinions of the City Report podcast for anyone wondering if we're going to endorse those. Um, as always, <laughs> at the start of a brand new week, Ollie Kirsch, I'll throw this one to you first and it's there's plenty to pick from. Your moment of the weekend, please. Moment of the weekend was, well, it's, it's Gundogan's, Gundogan, God, no, <laughs> Gundogan, sorry, Ilkey. Gundogan's first goal Um it's like, do you know, with, with all the fanfare that comes before a, an FA Cup kickoff, with the music and mm. uh, you know the national anthem and whatever, and you almost kind of half shut off to the fact that kickoffs moments away. Mm. So when kickoff does arrive, it's like all really sudden. One moment the pitch is absolutely full and adorned with flags and colours and this and that and people, and then they're kicking off. So it takes you a second anyway to actually realise, right, the game's on, mm. and then you blink and we've already scored. I, it, it happened so fast, I couldn't even process it. I know Andrew Detmer, one of our fellow co-hosts, said that the FOT mob notification for the goal came through before the notification for kickoff. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a bizarre moment actually. Because it's not like a home game where you sat down and then you're just staring at the pitch waiting for kickoff. It's like you're soaking it all in, everything yeah. that's going on around you, and then bang, it's one nil. So that's my moment of the week, not for the fact that we've just scored inside 13, 12 seconds against United in a cup final, just that. It, it was like just a bizarre experience. That was a bit, really weird moment. It, it was so strange. And, and for anyone who knows me well, knows that I have a horrendous ability, or well, a fantastic ability in some sense, but a horrendous trait of not making kickoff for matches. It is something I am far too guilty of doing. I will stroll in, you know, two, three minutes after kickoff, running late as usual. I was actually in the stand for kickoff. We were there, we were doing the pods now when the teams were being, or the United team was being read out. But I missed the goal. I somehow managed to miss the goal. I was putting... I was doing something with my phone, messing with my phone. I look up and suddenly I'm being bombarded by literally limbs from sort of all parts of the body, some places I never knew. And it, it even existed, people around you jumping on top of you. It was it was incredible. We'll get into the sort of the specifics a little bit later on, but it was it was bizarre. It was it was utter delusional in that moment. Um Ollie Lowe, what was your moment of the weekend? I think it would be pretty tough to look past um, what what Oli Kirsch just said um, in the sense that Elkai Gundogan's first goal was was undoubtedly that that moment of euphoria after mm. a lot of tense build up towards the game. So I'd struggle to maybe pick a moment, but but one thing that I, I really loved, which I saw on Twitter today, it's actually a tweet from you, Amos, was that um, oh. our, our current number eight is putting out those types of performances for Man City in a in a City shirt that is attributed to our greatest ever number eight in Colin Bell. And it feels like a real full circle moment that happening. I, um, as we've spoken about a couple of times on the podcast chat, I love a kit. I love a replica kit. I love City kits and I love this season's shirt. And it, it always, from the start, felt like it had greatness bestowed upon it because it was just so classy so seeing Ilkay Gundogan our current number eight ripping it up scoring goals against the rags in finals in that shirt and what could potentially next week become you know a very historic shirt and he could become a very historic player I just think it was a lovely lovely Mm -hmm. moment I'm really trying to cast my mind back now to the beginning of what has been a very very long season but I think when we had this uh when we had the podcast episode talking about the kits 
and one of us could have been me, could have been could have been one of you guys. I'm not. I can't remember, but somebody said a kit's quality is ultimately decided by what the team achieves mm. in it. That is principally what it's remembered for. Um, no better example than the Wembley 99 against Gillingham kit. That, that shirt, by all intents and purposes, mm. is horrible. But it's worn every week because of what we did in that shirt. And this shirt in itself is a beauty, but what we now stand to achieve in it and what Ilkay Gundogan stands to achieve in it in the number eight is out of this world. So, mm. yeah, if we... It, it, the, the word can be overused, but if we go on to achieve the treble and Gundo is the one to lift it in the number eight shirt that is a tribute to Colin Bell, he will become immortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it is poetic, isn't it? It's um, it's artistry. Manchester City's unlikely lad, really, in the sense that when he was given the captain's armband at the start of the season, you know, a lot of people were saying should it have been uh, Kevin De Bruyne, should it have been Ruben Diaz, etc. But he, he stepped up, and, and when it matters as well, I remember doing the interview with uh, the ginger wig Anthony um, earlier in the season when City weren't doing as well, and we we're saying what a shame it will be this year if we don't go on to win anything because that kit is so fantastic. Given some of the dross we've had in previous years where we have won trophies, obviously we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, my moment of the weekend then to wrap things off. I, I think it will come. I think it came after the game, but it was seeing Elton John on the tarmac of an airport. I'm not quite sure if it was in London or if it was in Manchester, with the whole squad around him singing songs, Elton John songs, singing it to him. Pep Guardiola looking like, you know, we look towards him. He was utterly starstruck. I thought it was just fantastic. One of the many fantastic moments, full time, obviously, sort of being overcome with euphoria at the fact we've beaten Manchester United in a cup final. Just the entire weekend, the glorious sunshine in London, it was it was really one of those where you're like, pinch me, is this really happening? But if we start to get into the game itself, and I mean, we've already touched on it really, but 12, 13 seconds in, was it? Ollie Lowe, something ridiculous as that. Could, could you imagine, right, flip the coin, City conceded a 12, 13 second goal off Manchester United in FA Cup final. I'd, I think I'd have retired from football. Not even, not even my job as sports media. I just, I would have given up. I'd, I'd have left the state. Well, maybe not the stadium. I'd have probably gone to the concourse. But I couldn't think of anything worse, given the build-up we've had to have conceded that early on. But to score that early on was just—it was—it was bizarre. It was one of the strangest moments I've ever felt as a football fan. Yeah, it wiped the script clean off its axis. You know, I was watching the game. With a United fan, a friend of mine, um, unfortunately he won't see sense, but we were speaking before the match and we were speaking about how crucial the first goal would be in this game. Lots of people before the match were saying City could wipe the floor with United, um, you know, lots of other opinions flying around, but we, we were both in agreement that that wasn't going to happen. It would be a tight game either way. It was a final Um we, we knew that it would be a tightly contested match. And we both kind of said that the first goal would be absolutely critical. We said if United scored first from a set piece or a corner, they'd, they'd get 10 men behind the ball and defend. If City scored first, it could maybe be a bit of a rout. Um, but then 13 seconds in that, that moment of magic happens. And it's almost like, where do you go from here? And to be honest, I think the match had elements of that. We can probably all agree it wasn't City's best performance. It definitely wasn't United's best performance because I think there was so much shock and awe in the fact that that happened so early into an FA Cup final that all expectations and all game plans just went completely out of the window. It, it really was a moment for the ages. Mm. And and it will be one... And the, the best thing about it, I felt, was 
okay, it wasn't the winning goal, but given the result, we can look back on it with sort of pride in a sense that it was a magical moment and had United gone on to win would have been sort of thinking oh my god you know this has happened we were 1-0 up inside 10 seconds or 20 seconds and didn't go on to win the game what went wrong but Ollie Kirsch if we can apply a little bit of sort of um, a post-mortem if you like do you think City scored too early because I certainly think when it happened as soon as the dust had settled I'm thinking Jesus Christ, we need to go and get two or three more now before 20, 30 minutes because I think if we don't, United will come back into it. Obviously, they didn't really come back into it. They had a well, a, a hand of fortune, really. But I do think that City probably scored a little bit too early and didn't put the foot on the pedal as much as you'd have liked in that situation, given how rattled United were. I don't know. I, I saw it differently. Um, I mean, firstly, when I thought the goal went in, I thought it was going to be a rout. Because uh, we've seen that United this season have got some mentality issues remaining in that squad. Players like Jaden Sancho, in particular, uh, a couple of others that that within minutes of that goal were just kind of moping around the pitch. Mm. So when that went in, I thought this is going to be four, five, six nil. Um, some credit to United; they did get themselves back into the game, albeit through a dubious penalty. We were not at our best. I think it's more that we let them back into the game as opposed to them getting themselves back into the game. Uh, but but that'd be natural, it, wouldn't it? In in the heat of Wembley, in the occasion of a final against your rivals, I think it was only sort of... And that's what I was getting at in the sense that City scored too early. They were always going to no. have a moment. They were always going to have possession for the ball, even if it was five minutes. So yeah, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, United, United, United did have periods and there were times that we were concerned, especially, you know, at half-time, the general sentiment was that we've just simply not been good enough and we're going to mm. leave this down to chance, down to a moment of magic for either side. And that is ultimately what did happen. We we weren't near our best, but it, it was a little bit, it, it still is a little bit concerning to me. You know, the, the result can wipe out a lot of perspective, but it is concerning to me that we didn't quite turn up as we should have done to such a big occasion. Um, but again, I do think United have something to do with that. They were quite dogged in, in defence. They were pressing well, particularly in the first half. Um and they didn't allow themselves to collapse after that goal. But uh, despite the end result, I do have some reservations about the performance. Um, any other day, though, you know, De Bruyne finishes that one-on-one. Haaland finishes one or two of the chances. Akanji gets on the end of that Stones cross. Um, it's funny that, isn't it? Okay. Mm. One centre-back getting, getting on the other end of another centre-back's <laughs> cross. But on another day, it could have been a lot more. But also with the way that we played, on another day, we could have lost that game. So... Not not to be a party pooper or anything, but after going 1-0 down that early on such a big occasion, we have to put our foot on the pedal and finish them off. And um, I hope they've taken something away from that game uh, as a learning point before we go over to Istanbul. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to quickly counteract Ollie's point there <clears throat> and say that for me, it, it sounds counterintuitive and obvious, but the most important thing for me in these games is the winning how we go about doing that is less so important. We can speak about rhythm. We can speak about consistency and in, in the performance. Mm. But generally speaking, if you think a team that, uh, you know, heading into a title race in the final five, six, seven games of the season, have two finals coming up, have games against Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. If we think we're going to turn up to Wembley and 
have a row or play United off the park. I just don't necessarily think it's reasonable that that's going to happen. You know, City, we we weren't great the other day. Why not, Ollie? We we are levels above them, mate. We are levels above them. The players have had a rest and... We, we've put one in within 13 seconds. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to. These players have played in enough massive games, massive, massive games to be able to handle that. And I'm not, listen, I, I'm not, I don't want to come across like I'm criticising them. And I'm not disagreeing that ultimately a result is mm. the most important thing by hook or by crook. I said that on the preview pod. I said, I don't care what happens in the 90 minutes as long as we get the win. And we did. I'm just saying that we still need a little bit of perspective here that, I'm not saying we should have beaten them four, five, six nil, but it should have been more controlled than it no, was. No, no, I, I agree. Look, City should have played better. They definitely should have played better. I'm just maybe giving the the over oversight that I don't remember mm. a moment of the Carabao Cup final against Aston Villa a few years ago. I just remember that we won. I don't remember much of the game against Stoke. I just remember that we won. You know, w- mm. these moments are what matter. The goal against for the goal for Ilkay, that's that's what, you know, will go down in history. The performance could have been better. We got there. Champions League final, do I want to see yeah. something more? 100%. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I see both sides. I, I had reservations about the performance and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is a byproduct of the fact we've not had competitive football and it could have cost City. It didn't. So as Oli Lowe says, you know, that's all that matters. If you ask Ruben Diaz, who was quoted after the game, he said, the most important thing is to party, to party tonight and to party tomorrow. So we're all wrong, basically. Um, Ruben has spoken. But uh, I'll stick with you, Oli Lowe, because, you know, it, it very nearly and and quite easily could have gone the opposite way. And, and midway through the first half, there's a couple of refereeing decisions which we could say were dubious, controversial, fucking batshit crazy. Let's start firstly with the Casemiro red card on, on Manuel Akanji, which remarkably was given as a foul against Akanji, despite him nearly enough to go off in a, in a leg brace. It obviously, minutes later, it led to this penalty decision, which... I don't know the official timing on the on the incident before the game was stopped and it was referred to VAR, but if I was to guess, I'd say probably between one and two minutes. It was it was a long time, so much so that when the referee stopped the game, I was thinking, what's happened? Has someone gone down injured? Is there an incident in the crowd? I was expecting bloody Louis from Just Up Oil to come running on with his orange powder and chucking it up in the air, but it, it was the most utter bizarre decision. The first half of the referee and Paul Turney obviously was in charge, and, and this is not a witch hunt, it's not a pile on. Referee's a really tough job, but for a game of that magnitude, I thought the appointment was poor. Paul Turney hasn't had a fantastic season in terms of, you know, getting the big calls right. Jurgen Klopp has called him out a number of times, and while I do think that is a little bit untoward from him I think he's got a point but Ollie Ollie Lowe obviously that was that was a really really two really big decisions which I think he got both wrong you can maybe argue for either but I think both of them were wrong yeah I think to be honest I think when I say this even United fans would agree with me you don't want to see a final that's defined by those types of decisions and we Mm. were we were very close to seeing that and and that's what would have been upsetting for me. Luckily, in the end, justice prevailed and we won. But yeah, I do I do just, I don't know. I think the standard of, of refereeing in this country at the moment is a real problem. It's something that's been discussed multiple times on the programme. As you said, I don't want to make it a witch hunt at all because 
look, I, I couldn't show up to a park on a Sunday and referee a Sunday league match. So I'm certainly not about to claim that I could make those decisions any better or, you know, lay onto them too much. When it when it comes to these big decisions, you need the least biased opinion. You need the highest professionals possible. And the refereeing team the other day wasn't that. It's the second time this season where we've had costly decisions against United. Fortunately, as I said this mm. time, it went our way uh, in the end. But yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely troublesome. Uh, the referee, yeah, like, the Casemiro one, out of control, could be very easily, easily argued. Excessive force can be almost is almost a certainty with that one and he mm. did catch the player in the end we've seen those given where no contact was even made mm. yeah was it yeah. even checked I'm not certain it was even checked the Grealish handball now that was checked because it was deemed a clear and obvious error that ain't a clear and obvious mm. error whatsoever that is something that I mean a few pundits said that it shouldn't be a handball, but according to the letter of the law, it is. But regardless, the Casemiro one is more of a clear and obvious error than the Grealish one was. Yeah. So there's that. And then there was the um, penalty at the other end where Fred fouled De Bruyne, which for me was an extremely clear and obvious error, was checked by VAR. And then they said it wasn't a penalty, even though you can see it from every single angle that Fred had no intention of playing the ball whatsoever. He played mm. the man. So look, all I'm going to say is this. I'm not going to say that refereeing is bent or corrupt or uh, overtly biased or anything like that. What I will say is that where the FA are concerned, they should not blame fans for increasingly taking this stance, that there is something going on within refereeing. Um, I don't believe it. I just think it is a case of incompetence and inconsistency. But I read a stat before that since 2010, we've not had a single penalty in a derby. United have had, I think it was five or six against mm. us. Now, considering that we've been the better team and spent far more time in their box than they have in ours in that time, it, it, it's just all a little bit sus to me. Um, but look, we, we really, uh, as, a, as, a, as a country in our footballing, at least in the top flight, you know, we import talent from all around the world, managerial talent, playing talent, backroom talent. Why not refereeing talent as well? Why are we, as a league that has by far and away the most revenue, in Europe, not taking the best referees from around Europe. Because if we want to maintain the highest standard possible of the game, that includes the officiating. So something's got to give. Um, like I said, I don't think any of it is, uh, is, is corrupt or underhanded, but there is a sentiment to that effect growing within multiple fan bases in this country, and they need to do something to stem it. Um, yeah, I think it's good we should speak about this now because had we lost and we're coming on to say it, then it sounds as just like it's sour grapes. Everyone's losing their ass. You know, City have lost. You're blaming the ref. So I think it's important we have this conversation now. We've not got time for this debate as much as I'd love to go into it. We have to go to the ad break, but I'm not sure on the important different referees. I think it's our house. Sort it out. You know, grassroots refereeing is in crisis. I, I did that as a job when I was growing up. I think I've said a, a couple of times, but it is it's a shambles. There's no pathway really for for good referees to move up the pyramid like there would be an academy system. And I think it just pushes the can down the road if we say, hey, you Polish referee or hey, you Spanish referee, come over here. We'll give you double the amount of money you're getting paid by your own FA to do our job, basically. I think we can sort it out ourselves. Um, but that's, like I said, a debate for another time. Stick where you are. We'll be back with you in a moment. 
Name a better bargain than Gold Machine Erling Haaland for £52 million. Well, almost everything available on the Discount Dragon website, of course. It's the best place to find all of your favourite household names for affordable prices, with money to be saved on food, drinks, alcohol, household items and even pet products. Move quick and you can grab an extra 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. That's 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. Limited time only, terms and conditions apply, UK only. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. Once again, a fucking huge week, and excuse my language there, but as you can see, we're really gearing up for it now. We've got some fantastic shows on the way for you Monday through Friday. So if you haven't already, follow, subscribe. Right then, let's up the energy then, and let's focus on the good parts to sort of round off today's episode. One man I want to pick out and, and quite fit in in a coronation year, John Stone stepping up and being crowned a king, Ollie Lowe. Was that the most complete performance you can remember from a City player in a Manchester derby? I mean, off the top of my head, I'd have to say so. John Stones is immaculate. The Barnsley Beckenbauer. He, you know what I'm loving about this season, to be honest, is he's finally um, getting his flowers, as the expression goes. Yeah. I feel like John Stones has quietly been one of the best centre-backs, if not in the Premier League, in the world for the past two, three, four, five seasons, however far back you want to go. I mean, in my honest opinion, maybe this is a a bit of bias, but pretty much since after his first season, he's just been steadily on an upward trajectory, you know, consistently fantastic internationally for club and country. For England, originally a lot of the praise went on Harry Maguire, but now that he's um, having not such a fortunate time, people are starting to realise that actually John Stones has always been the foundation of of, um, the defence for England. And for Manchester City, he is just, he's just, he just looks like he's having the time of his life. Mm. He's an absolute asset to this club. He's a legend. He will be when he leaves anyway. Um, He loves the club. He said this season many a times that this is home for him now. And seeing him this season come into that that new role, I feel like that has shone a light on so many uh, attributes that we maybe not paid attention to so far. I mean, that turn in the in the final the other day, just outside of his eighteen yard box, I, I literally whimpered when I heard when I, when I saw that happen. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, John Stones for me has always been an unsung hero, but it, it's finally his time. Remarkable footballer, and I was just going to bring in that turn. Amos, you'll have to get a clip up for those of you that are listening that haven't seen it. Um, Amos, pop it on the City Report podcast Twitter. It was, I think there were three United players coming at him for the mm. press, and he just the, this the. It's the tempo that Pep talks about, the pauser. And he just kind of waited, looked over his shoulder, waited for them to get in range, and then just turned all three of them and started driving down the pitch. And it was absolutely beautiful. I think it was ITV, maybe, uh, or BBC. Roy Keane was talking about it, I think, uh, or one of the pundits just, just saying that some midfielders don't have the awareness that he has, some of the best central midfielders in the world. Um, and they say Ten Hag's a good coach. Has he really set John Stones as the pressing trigger? John Stones' possession? <laughs> that is that's utterly ridiculous. Um but yeah, if listen, anyone that's not got John Stones in the team of the season, I, I don't think you know ball, I'm afraid. And if it wasn't for such a focus on goals and assists, 
he should be in all the European teams of the seasons as well, yeah. or up for player of the year, maybe in the league or whatever. The guy is, he's just absolutely phenomenal. And so have made this leap at 28 years of age, is he now? Is is quite incredible because this kind of footballing education tends to come to players. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, great example. When Pep converted him from a right back to a defence midfielder, I think he was maybe 21 or 22. Mm. So for Stonesy to picking up this kind of capability at such an elite level at 28, all the praise in the world to him. Phenomenal. And yeah, you, you both of you are absolutely spot on. And you know, you mentioned he should be in the team of the team of the year. The, the question really is, where does he go? Because is he a defender? Is he a midfielder? It's a bit like Batman, isn't it? Number um, one, Johnny Stones. <laughs> number two, yeah. There's a new all chat. eleven, mate. Yeah, absolutely. It does feel like that at times. And there's a fantastic video. I think Rodri, one of the players who probably was a little bit off it against United, but there's a video where Pep does his usual drop into his knees. Rodri gets the ball away about midway through the second half, and John Stones just cool as you like sweeping up as always and he's having a really good season really really good season um and like you say ollie low getting the flowers for it another man i want to sort of bring up and speak about because there's a lot of debate before the game and, and i'll stick with you ollie kirsch because we, we chatted about it on friday it was obviously stefan ortega and all three of us it was adam on the panel um that day joined us and said that he thinks you know we all thought that Ortega should have been dropped for Edison because the mantra was best team in a big final. I stand by that. I think Edison probably should have played, but Stefan Ortega, he's gone throughout this whole FA Cup campaign. It started against Chelsea, obviously. We played Arsenal, which is another thing we've not actually spoke about yet. We've played some massive teams in all three competitions that we could go on to win and beaten them, which is a conversation for another day. But he played against Chelsea, played against Arsenal, played against Bristol City, played against Burnley, Sheffield United, United, and obviously now against Manchester United, not one goal conceded. To come in and do that in your debut season, when you've got Edison, obviously, as the first choice, is fantastic. And and I love I love seeing players like that. Calvin Phillips, another one. He gets a lot of stick this season, obviously not played much in the Premier League, but he, was, he played a key part in quite a few of these uh, FA Cup games. He's been able to pick up a medal and said, you know what, I've, I've earned this, albeit, you know, maybe not as much as other t- players, but, you know, Stefan Ortega, seeing his smile on his face and, and, and really sort of relishing that, it's, it was fantastic for me. But I don't think we question Ortega's capabilities. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, no. But we we talk about clean sheets. Um, That's fine. I don't think that that is ever a problem with Ortega. Um, I think the problem is that when the ball is played back to him. I'm a little more white knuckled than I am. It, it when felt it's like that, didn't it? Edison. Yeah, and he yeah. did do very well. And we're talking about pressing triggers. Mm. I actually don't think United harassed Agreed. Ortega as Agreed. much as they could or should have done. In fact, I'll, um, I'll jump in quickly because that yeah. was one of the things in the second half I was waiting for. And when mm. Ganacho came on, I thought that would be the one he's going to harry Ortega. But he mm. just had so much time. And, and obviously, the, the game ended with him just sort of having the ball at his feet, not really being pressed, and the ref really full time whistle. I was massively surprised about that. Yeah. Yeah, because Ortega does take a couple more touches than Edison does before he's made mm. his decision. Um, although, as it happens, he was the, he started the run of play for Gundo's first yeah. goal. You know, the ball was yeah. played back to him from kickoff, and and he started off that passage of play. But yeah, there, there, there was a little more nervousness in me and around me as well in the stand when Ortega had the ball. And the other weird thing, this is a really weird nuance with when Ortega plays. 
because the players in at the back are so used to having Edison, they always roll the ball out to Ortega's left because Edison is mm. left-footed. Therefore, he needs an extra touch to bring it back onto his yeah. right. So that is maybe something, Pep, if you're listening to this, I know you've got the burner Twitter accounts <laughs> and whatnot, you do love consuming the content, but yeah, the, the, I think the players sometimes at the back are actually putting Ortega in an uncomfortable position mm. because they're so used to playing the ball out for Edison to take that first touch on his left that Ortega, it's then a little bit awkward because he's right-footed. But... Yeah, as I said, as a goalkeeper, there's no question he's brilliant. He, he was brilliant in the Bundesliga. He has some of the, one of the best save ratios and one of the best yeah. XG denied ratios. Denied. Um, not sure exactly, yeah, <laughs> not sure exactly what the, the official technical term is, but he's a great shot stopper. The questions around Ortega are his ability to play out the back. He did it well against United because they didn't really harass him. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, look, we, we we did debate it. We did say that Edison should play. I was actually convinced that Edison would play. I was wrong, but I was happy to be proven wrong. Ortega did absolutely fine. Everything that was expected of him. He's a wonderful number two. And I just hope he stays because if a, you know, say mid-table or top seven Premier League club comes after him, um, which for all intents and purposes, they would be right to do so, then he's got a tough choice on his hands because he is a worthy goalkeeper for any good side. Yeah, and it's the Emi Martinez sort of situation um, he had at Arsenal a few years ago. Obviously, he won the FA Cup for for Arsenal. I think it was a penalty shootout or he played in the final or something like that. And then Bern Leno was the number one at the same time. So he sort of had to he had to make a decision whether he stayed or he went. And, and you know, I, I agree with the right foot, left foot. It's a little bit like in cricket when you've got a right-hand batter and a left-hand batter. It's, it's sort of havoc for the field and the bowlers to, to adjust every every other over or so and it, it was the same when obviously they were playing back to him but um Oli Lowe just to sort of just to to round off I, w- I want to speak about Pep Guardiola um because he is now just the third manager in English football history to win a Premier League and FA Cup double on multiple occasions do you know who the other two might be out of interest I'd guess uh, Sir Alex Ferguson unfortunately Yes, he'd be one. And Jose Mourinho? Ooh, not quite. Oli Kirsch, any ideas? Pass. <laughs> okay. Um, it was Arsene Wenger, obviously. Um, you were right. Wait. In the sort of... Sorry, what? Say, say it again. Do you, <laughs> you need to start you, listening? You can't get it now. I can't, I can't imagine being a... I can imagine you being an absolute I was looking, nightmare I was looking, in school. Yeah, I was, about I, was, I was looking at the stats back from the game. <laughs> just trying to work out how United had a higher XG than us. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Go on I'll tell you what, then, that's a question for you. How did, how, how, how did they have higher XG than Well, funnily enough, we're already in a, to- a topic of conversation. So you go back off to your little north corner and, and we'll carry on the, de- the debate. But um, <laughs> anyway, Pep Guardiola becomes the, the third manager in English football history to win the Cup and Premier League double on multiple occasions. And I, I don't think there's any sort of debate really in our circle Ollie about whether or not Pep Guardiola was in the upper echelon of you know the greatest of all time in English football are we getting towards a conversation where he's eclipsing the likes of Wenger he's eclipsing the likes of Alex Ferguson or does it need a win on Saturday against Inter Milan to really cement that I, I you know what I think it depends on the context of the question um because I just, I just, I, we've, we've said this in the past. I struggle to believe that anyone can truly look in the mirror at night, whether you're a United fan, a City fan, an Arsenal fan, a Liverpool fan, and truly tell yourself that Pep Guardiola isn't the best manager of all time and believe it. Mm. I just, I just don't know how that's possible. Um, and al- almost like we were speaking before about us being able to look back on the VAR decisions because we'd won. 
sometimes I wish that I obviously don't, but that I didn't support City just so I could say Pep Guardiola is the best manager on earth and people wouldn't think that mm. I'm being biased because it, it's just, I don't know how people can debate it anymore. All that Sir Alex has got at this point is the longevity. But in terms of, you know, the, the teams that he's put together, the players that he's, you know, pretty much turned into world-class legends of the game, there's, there's always this misconception as well that, he inherited the world's best Barcelona team. That was a team that hadn't won the La Liga in three years, that had been finishing fifth and third. Iniesta, Busquets, Xavi, they weren't the players that they went down in history to be until Pep Guardiola came along. And that's separate to City. Look, I think that from a neutral standpoint and even from a rival standpoint, we need to win on Saturday to put a nail in the coffin for our sakes, for the debates around the pub table, just to be able to go, look, we've won the treble, he's won the Champions League, give it a rest now. But for us, he could never win a trophy again for City and he will always be the best manager of all time. Absolutely. And, and Oli Kirsch, do you think it, the fact that he, Alex Ferguson obviously has the longevity, that's not a debate, but do you think it's more impressive for Guardiola the fact he's done five out of the last six Premier League titles in such a short amount of time, he's won two FA Cups, he's won four league titles, whatever it is, hopefully won Champions League in such a condensed amount of time that makes it even more impressive than Ferguson doing it across, I don't know, two decades or so. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they're clutching at straws now, the United fans, because the, the last Shocker. two things... That, well, yeah, exactly. Well, the last two things that they've got going for them is number one, the treble, which I hope we can just completely wipe off the table next weekend. And the other thing is... Um, the, the pure numbers, that's what he's saying, the quantity. But at the current rate that Pep's going, he could surpass Ferguson's numbers with a career half the length of Ferguson's. <laughs> and then they'll say, oh, well, yeah, we're not counting his whole career, just his time at United. Irrelevant. He could do inside 10 years at City what took, well, Ferguson won 13 titles. So at current rate, Pep would need for the Premier League about 15 or 16 seasons. But for general overall trophy count, a decade to Ferguson's 25 years, was it? I think 87 yeah. to 2012. Yeah, 25 years. So 100%. The only difference now between those two is time in the game. That is it. And if Pep does somehow end up with 25 years at City, which for anyone that's not City listening right now, you better damn hope that he doesn't. But if he did do 25 years at City... He'd, he'd blow everyone else out the wall. It wouldn't even be close. It'd be like comparing Lionel Messi's goal-scoring stats to Peter Crouch's. <laughs> Seriously, he will blow everyone else out the wall. So there's no debate for me, not at all. He's Sorry, that cut out then. There's no debate at all for me. He's revolutionised the game. He's left a legacy in England that will... I mean, I don't know if it's ever been matched like this. You've got seven-a-side um, kids learning to play football and goalkeepers playing out the back. Mm. He's he's just completely transformed transformed football culture in this country. And also, Ollie, you said about Pep when he joined Barcelona, they were quite a mediocre team. Look, they had great talent. They couldn't put it forward effectively. Now, when Pep joined City, there are articles, and you can find them, easy to find, saying, you know, doubting Pep's uh, decisions come to City, saying that we are... Uh, a rudderless ship and that we've got players and an old guard that need clearing out and basically saying that this challenge is too big for Pep. And then obviously you had the naysayers over in Stratford saying that he can't do in England what he's done elsewhere because this league's harder. He's just trampled on every record, every narrative. There's nothing left bar, obviously, the Champions League slash the treble. Mm. If all goes well, there is nothing left to say 
for Pep's legacy as the best manager in England of all time, if not Europe. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and I think as we get into sort of the next seven days, potentially after that, there may be conversations starting to depend on the result, whether or not Pep Guardiola walks away. That's a conversation for, well, seven days probably, or at least fingers crossed. Uh, or fingers not crossed because I don't want him to walk, but I want City to be in a position where he feels like he could walk, having won the trouble. You get my gist. But um, Ollie Lowe, before we wrap up, final question on the sort of the philosophical side of it beating Manchester United at Wembley in an FA Cup final. I had to remind myself of that about 150 times since full-time on Saturday because we beat Manchester United in an FA Cup final at Wembley. I used to grow up being excited when we got one win against United in five-year spells, but to beat them at Wembley in an FA Cup final, it, it's magical, isn't it? What Just what exactly does it mean personally to you, but sort of a wider point for the club as well? I think that to to me and to every City fan, it is a sort of feeling that you, you can't describe. We've all grown up being the only kid in our school who went to PE lessons mm. in a City shirt. We all grew up, for the most part, not knowing many other City fans. And, you know, that, that was the reality of it. We were a small fan base made of people from Greater Manchester. We didn't have the global appeal. We were, you know thrown about in the mud mm. City were a joke and it was always United yeah. fans on the end of it having the last laugh I do think you know to round it off it goes back to what you said at the start of the podcast and what Guy, Guy Mowbray said you know it used to be never in my lifetime now it's every time and that is that's poetic mm. um, I just I just think that beating them the way um, maybe not the way that we did yesterday the performance wasn't fantastic but beating them and what it could mean is just immense. It would have been great to beat them in an FA Cup final if that was the only trophy that we've won all season. But the fact that it could be on the way to something greater just gives it all that more meaning. You know, fingers fingers really crossed now. It really could, for a City fan, just be the absolute peak of the mountain. To, to win a league that we've been chasing all season, to win an FA Cup against our biggest rivals, and then to finally reach that almighty Champions League would just be the you know the the sort of a encompassment of of everything that we've been working towards. Uh, personally, I'm not asked. Um, <laughs> well, never, never mind. To beat them. It, it, no, no, it means no more to me than beating Stockport, Oldham, Bury. That's no, bullshit. Just, just well, listen, it, it, it would have been less cruel to put them out in the third round, wouldn't it? Instead of giving that false hope in the final. T- can, sorry, can I just redo my oh, speech? I'm joking. I'm joking. Take it, take it, take it, take it. <laughs> oh. oh my head's gone you love it my you head's gone it. my head's gone flying back down Wembley way which I think is what happened to all 30 odd fouls in United fans with those stupid bucket hats on the head by the oh, way oh they were terrible that about? anyway before yeah <laughs> <laughs> before before we bang it before we get chucked off the show entirely let's call it a day Ollie Lowe thank you very much it's been a pleasure yeah thank you very much see you, see you soon for an exciting week exactly Ollie Kirsch thank you very much it's been a pleasure Pleasure as always. And as always, if you are new around here, if you're not new around here, but you haven't already, follow, subscribe. You do not want to miss a second of our coverage in the build-up to the Champions League final, which is, of course, on Saturday. Until next time, we'll see you later.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.